Thanks, Matt. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad you guys are here with us. Uh, my name is Clayton, pastor here at Central, and I hope you guys are having a, an awesome Halloween. How many of y'all are planning on going actually trick-or-treating tonight? Anybody? Okay. I know there, there's, there's like 75 kids over there right now today, so I'm sure they're all geared up and ready. How many of you guys have candy waiting and ready for the trick-or-treaters? Anybody? Okay, so yeah, I've, I've got some. I don't think I have enough. I'm going to try to go over there and try to see if I can find some more um, for my house tonight. But man, uh, I love getting together as a family and doing that kind of stuff. A couple years ago, my family and I went to a kind of a haunted, what a haunted house. It was like a, a, a walk like a through the woods type of a haunted experience thing. It was, it was fun. It was kind of cool. And no one wants to be at the back of that group. You know what I'm saying? And so when you're in a group and you're walking through the haunted house, like you want to be in the middle. And uh, so they made me get at the, at the end, you know? And I'm like, come on, seriously? Because you know someone's going to walk up behind you. And so we're going through this thing and it was fun. We we're all having a good time. And then we went across this bridge and it's in like the middle of these woods. And it was a single, like a uh, single person kind of bridge. It was about 40 feet long. And we're walking along, and you can't, get, you can't go left or right over the bridge. And all of a sudden, this clown jumps out, okay, in front of us and starts running towards us. And so everybody starts turning around on me, and I turn around, and another clown is coming the other way with a chainsaw. You know, of course, there wasn't a chain on or whatever. They're trying to scare you, but I was like, I'm done. I'm done, okay? <laughs> get me off of this bridge. And I was thinking about today, um, what is the, the scariest costume, you know? Like what would be a scary costume that, that you could wear? Maybe it's a clown costume. I don't like clowns. You know, that's probably pretty scary. But really, I was thinking about it. And the scariest costume for me is a wasted life. Like I don't know how, it, how, it would, how I could make a costume that would represent that. But it would be a wasted life. Because we waste our lives on all sorts of things, don't we? You know, we waste our lives on, on too much of, of things. Like we do things in excess like too much entertainment or too much alcohol or, or too much food or too much leisure or too many bad decisions, you know? And so in your life, those things begin to stack up, you know? And, and as you go through life, you continue to do those things. Those things stack up on top of each other. And before long, like you realize your life is quickly going away, you know? Like every single day, you have one day less. And I was thinking about this the other day. If you knew you only had a few days left, what would you do? Like, what would you spend your time doing? What would be the most important things for you? And I, was, uh, I went online and found, they did some, a study, a research, and they looked up a bunch of people um, and saw what they were, you know, thinking about doing at the end of their life. And here, here's the top 10 things that, that were reported, okay? Number one. They, to, they said they would spend time with those they love. Right? I mean, you'd do that, wouldn't you? I mean, spend time with, with those you love. You're like, you know what? I'm not going to work today, <laughs> okay? I quit, okay? I quit. I've always wanted to say this. I quit. I'm going to spend time with my family. Number two is they say, they'd say uh, you'd get a chance to say what you've always wanted to say, okay? What you're too scared to say. So maybe there's some conversations that you need to have with someone. If you knew you only had a few days left, you'd say, you know what? I can't put this off any longer. I need to talk. I need to share with you some things. Number three, this one's kind of crazy. Pet all the animals you can. I don't know how that made it on the list, but I think that's a pretty good one, okay? So go around and pet all the animals um, that, that you can. The fourth one is, is eat as much of your favorite food as you like. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, 
just forget it. You're just going to eat whatever you, you want to eat. Okay, so I don't know what that would be for you. Mine was probably ice cream, but that's what I would eat, okay? Number five is you would help someone. I mean, wouldn't you want to, at the end of your life, you have a, a few moments left to, to, try to try to help someone, to love someone? Number six is you would forgive and apologize. You know, let's, let's have that conversation. There's some things I need to say. I, w- I, wanna, I wanna ask for forgiveness. I wanna forgive you. I wanna say I'm sorry. Number seven, do something exhilarating. You know what I'm talking about? Like, let's go bungee jumping. Let's do it, okay? If I'm gonna go, I, I, if that happens, whatever, okay? Like, if I know I'll have a few days left, let's, let's go bungee jumping. Let's go skydiving. Let's do something crazy. I always wanted to go parasailing. Anybody? Like, just up there like a bird. That's what I wanna do. Okay, bucket list. Maybe someday, okay? If anybody wants to give me a gift for that Christmas, it'd be great. Okay. Um, number eight is go somewhere you've always wanted to go. Okay? How many of y'all would have like, you have some things that you, some places you always wanted to go, and at the end of your life, if you only had a, a little bit of time left, you'd say, you know what? We're taking everything out of savings, and we're going. Like, we're going to go. I've always wanted to go to Switzerland. I just love the idea of going there and seeing all that beauty, so you get to go do that. Which brings me to uh, uh, number nine, which is pause and soak it all in. Maybe you'd spend some more time outside listening to nature, you know, looking at it and just appreciating the beauty of, of everything. And number 10, this is, an, this is kind of an interesting one. People said that they would want to leave a final message. And sometimes people in their, in their effort to, to leave a final message, they, they write something called the last will and testament. I don't know if you've ever done this. I don't know if you've ever written a, a last will and testament, but it's, it's a legal document that communicates a person's final wishes. And so if you were to write your, your last will and testament, what would you say? Like, what would you spend time writing? If I gave you a piece of paper and, and a pen, or if I put a camera in front of you, what, what, would, what would be the words that you would have? What would be the words that you would say? Well, some famous people, they got a chance to do that. One of these guys, uh, his name was Fred Bauer. He was the, the founder of Pringles. Okay, anybody love Pringles around here? I love me some Pringles. Okay, some good Pringles. Well, he didn't want, to, he wanted to be, be cremated, but he didn't want to be put in an in a urn. He wanted to be put in a can of Pringles, okay? That was his, like his wish, and you know what? His wish came true. He actually got to do that. Uh, the Star Trek creator, uh, Gene Roddenberry, he wanted to, as we say, go bold, to boldly go where no man has gone before, you know? He wanted to do that, uh, to have his ashes scattered in space. And so when they were launching some satellite a, a while back, they got to actually uh, put his, his ashes in space, which is pretty awesome. And not only do people get to do like a final message or final instructions, but they get to, get to leave some final words. Like Leonardo da Vinci, you know, the famous painter, he said... This is his final words. He says, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the, the quality it should have. Okay? Just crazy. I'm like, dude, you're too hard on yourself, okay? It was pretty good, all right? It was pretty good. Uh, Winston Churchill, the famous British leader, his last words were on, when he was dying, he says, I'm bored with it all. <laughs> it's kind of weird. I mean, it's just like the last, his last famous words, you know? What would you say? Those are your last moments and you had some final words, what would you say? Well, the Apostle Paul in 67 AD, he had a chance to, to say some final words. If you're Bibles, you can turn to 2 Timothy. We're going to be there today. But while you're turning there, let me give you a little background about what's going on um, in this passage. So in 63 AD, so if I back up four years, 
Paul was, found himself in his first imprisonment in Rome, but it was like house arrest. So he was at, at home or at a home, a rented house. For two years, he was stuck there. And while he was there, he wrote uh, the, the letter of Philippians. So he wrote the, that letter, and he could have people come and, and go and see him. And so it wasn't as, as difficult as like being like in a real prison. And so that was his first experience. And he gets let out, and he goes on his fourth missionary journey. And he went to places like Crete and Ephesus and Philippi. And we believe he actually went to Spain as well, which is pretty cool. And then he gets rearrested. And while he is, is, is going to prison or he gets into prison, he finds himself not in like a house arrest type of situation. He actually gets sent this time to a dungeon. And he is chained up and it is nasty and disgusting. And he gets word that he is going to be executed. And he gets an opportunity to kind of give his last words. And that's what 2 Timothy is. He writes a letter to Timothy and says, man, if I've only got one shot, and this is my last moment to share with you and to the world something important. Here's what I would say. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, that's where we're going to be today. So chapter 4, we're going to kind of go through this real quick. And I think there's, there's a few things, about five things that life lessons that Paul gives us in his final words. He gave them to Timothy first, but he's also giving them to us. So let's take a look at those starting in verse 1. Here's what the Bible says. Or Paul says to Timothy, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. He says, hey, look, this is serious, okay? Towards the end of my life, there's one thing I can say to you, it would be this, preach the word. What I think Paul was really saying to to Timothy and to us as well is this. Tell people about Jesus. Man, if there's anything that you were to do with your life, tell people about Jesus. Man, this is serious. He's saying, in front of God, my last word to you is tell people. Don't hold back. Tell people about Jesus. And he says something really kind of specific. Here's, here's how you, you, you tell someone. You preach to them. You preach to them. And you preach something really specific. You preach the word, okay? Jeremiah 23 talks about it as well. Jeremiah is, is describing, um, in Jeremiah 23, he's describing two different kinds of prophets. Those who, who uh, just base their prophecies off of dreams and their own opinions and stuff like that. That's no evidence. And those who base their, their prophecies off of God's word. Here's what he says in Jeremiah chapter 23, in verse 28, he says, let these false prophets tell their dreams. Like, who cares about them? But let my true messengers faithfully proclaim my every word. You see, there's a difference between straw and grain. Does not my word burn like fire, says the Lord? Is it not like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces? He's saying, man, God's word is powerful. What the Bible is saying is that we have everything we need to tell people about Jesus. We don't need dreams. We don't need all that kind of stuff. You know what we have? God's word. We have the Bible. And Paul is telling Timothy, preach the word. This is the legacy to leave. That we would tell people about Jesus and we would know the word. Because we don't know the word, it's kind of hard to tell people about Jesus, honestly. 
So that's kind of his first lesson that he gives to, to Timothy. And, and he goes on in verse 2, in the second half of verse 2, and here's what he says. He says, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. What Paul is telling Timothy is that while you're telling people about Jesus, be a good friend. Like, be a good friend. That sounds kind of simple and easy, but you know what? It's really easy to be a bad friend, you know? A bad friend is someone, not, not someone that stabs you in the back necessarily, but it's someone who just tells you what you want to hear, you know? You ever had a friend like that, that they're never honest with you, they just tell you what you want to hear so they can, they can stay your friend, so they can keep that relationship going? Really, if you think about it, it's kind of self-serving and selfish to, to not really tell someone where they're wrong or where, they're, where they, they've strayed or to correct them or to help them. It's easy just to, to, to be nice to them, you know? Just, it's easy to, honestly, just tell them what they want to hear. And that's kind of what a bad friend does. But a good friend, according to God's word, is someone that's willing to tell you like it is, you know? Someone that's willing to call you on the carpet when you've messed up. The Bible's real specific about it. Proverbs 27 talks about it. It says this. This is kind of a crazy verse. It says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy, okay? It's weird. It's saying, hey, wounds are better than kisses because where they're com- who they're coming from, you know? So what is that saying? Well, it's pretty specific and really, really clear. It's talking about <clears throat> being real. Like loving someone enough that you're willing to lose that relationship because you care about them. You care about them so much that you can't, can't help but, but tell them the truth in love and take care of them. You know, as a staff, we have several core values that we've worked through over the last uh, several months, and we're about to put them, put them up all over our office, offices. There are eight staff values that we want to live by. And one of the staff values that we have is that we don't let weeds grow. How many of you guys have weeds in your yard? Come on, come on now. Everybody's got some weeds, got some rain going. There's going to be some more weeds that are going to be uh, sprouting up. But what do weeds do? If you don't take care of them, that one weed's going to become a big weed. And then it's going to multiply. And all of a sudden, there's going to be a lot more weeds all over the place, you know. And it's going to end up taking over everything. And your beautiful yard is not going to be so beautiful anymore. And so as a staff, here's our value that we have. Here's our commitment to each other is that we don't let weeds grow. Here's what it looks like. Sometimes we, we say we, have, we, we tell each other we have the ability to, to knock on my door. Hey, Clayton, can we talk? Sure, okay. Hey, bro, what you said up on stage, that was awful. <laughs> okay, whatever, right? I mean, you know, just whatever. So um, we, have, we have the ability to, to be real with each other and tell each other where we're straying or, or going wrong or, or if something offended us. And we want to talk through that because what happens if you don't? It just festers, you know? It gets worse and worse, and you project what that other person is thinking when they're really maybe not even thinking that, and it's just that relationship turns sour, and it, it gets bad, and so as a staff, we're like, you know what? We're not going to do that. We don't let weeds grow. Sometimes you got to have that, those hard conversations before it gets worse, and that's what Paul is telling Timothy. He's saying, here's, here's what you need to do. Patiently, re, patiently correct, patiently rebuke, and patiently encourage one another. Be a good friend. But he goes on in verse, verses three through five, and here's what he says. He says, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. You probably heard this before, okay? 
They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. What Paul is telling Timothy is that, you know what? It's not enough to just love Jesus. Because a lot of people love Jesus for, for what he can give them, you know? And so we, we, we take a couple verses out of scripture or a couple things people tell us. And so we kind of form this Jesus in our mind. You go, you know what? I love that kind of Jesus because he's going to get me into heaven. He's forgiving me all my sins. Now, it doesn't really mean not to live for him or do anything like that. But he's just going to do all those things for me. People love to do that. But Paul is telling Timothy something a little different. He's saying, hey, it's not enough just, just to love Jesus. You got to follow him too. Hey, man, if I'm, I'm going to give you some last bit of information about this life, of how to live this life, don't just love Jesus man, you got to follow them. you got to follow them. There's so many people who, who love, just love Jesus and what he can give them, what, what, what he can give to them. But the question is, are you really following after him? we got to follow him. Don't just love Jesus, but follow him. Paul goes on in verses 6 and 7, and he says this, kind of way, a way to sum up his life. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Man, that's, that's, that's powerful. He said, man, I, I've been this sacrifice of a life. My life, I consider it a sacrifice. And I, I would best describe it as being poured out in front of God, in front of other people. Well, Paul talked about this in other, other times. In Philippians chapter 2, look what he said. In verses, uh, verse 17, he says this, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life. Okay, this is in his first imprisonment, all right? It wasn't too bad. He's like on his couch, you know, just writing this and saying, hey, if I, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pour it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. Where did he get that? Like, why is Paul describing his life as a sacrifice being poured out. Well, if you go to the Old Testament, he's talking about the Old Testament, Old Testament sacrificial system. And here's what they would do. They would take wine. This is, this is all like written out in Numbers chapter 15. And when you were sacrificing a, a, a lamb, you would take a certain amount of wine and you would, as the lamb is being burned up at the, at the altar, okay, to God, you would, as a sacrifice to God, you would take that, that uh that wine, and you would pour it out around the, off, around, around the offering, okay, around the altar. And so you'd use a specific amount. Like when it was a lamb, you had used a one-third of a gallon. It's kind of crazy, but that's what it was. When you were uh, sacrificing a ram, it was a half a gallon or a third of a gallon, okay? And if you were sacrificing a young bull, which is a little bit bigger, more expensive, okay, you would use a half a gallon of wine, which is kind of crazy. I'm like, I don't know why, whatever. But what would happen when you poured wine on the fire? Smoke, right? And the, the Bible talks about that being like a, a fragrant offering to God, a sacrifice to God. And so Paul is describing his life as like, like that, like it's a sacrifice of me pouring my life out at the altar in front of God. In fact, he wasn't the only one that talked about it. Jesus talked about it in Luke chapter 22. Look what it says on the screen right here. Luke chapter 22, verse 
20, he says this. This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. He's talking about his sacrifice. He says, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is what? Poured out as a sacrifice for you. Why would Paul describe his life as a drink offering being poured out? I think he's giving Timothy and us as well this fourth life lesson. To make your life count by emptying yourself. Like if you really want to make your life count, don't hold back at anything. Go 100% for God. Pour your life out. Did that describe you? Would you say that you're doing that? That you're pouring your life out for God. You're sacrificing, you're giving, you're, you're, you're spending your time and your treasure to, to love God and tell people about Jesus. Are you doing that? My prayer is that in, at the end of your life, if you had an opportunity to say some last words, you'd be able to say that. You should be able to say, you know what, I gave my all, God. I poured my, my life out. I tried to, to share my faith and, to, and to, to pass on my faith, and I did my very best. I mean, would you be able to say that? You'd say, you know what, man, my life, I just I poured it out. Everything you gave me, I gave it out. I didn't hold back at all. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy, man, pour your life out. Just like I've been pouring my life out. And he finishes in, in verse 8. Look what he says right here. He says, and now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Here Paul, he's, he's describing that when he dies, like he, he has this hope. Not just of heaven, but of a, a prize. Just kind of interesting. Calls it a crown of righteousness. That when he dies, Jesus is going to be there to give him a crown. And what Paul, in essence, is saying is another life lesson. He's saying, saying this to Timothy. Let me tell you about my hope. Like, I'm not scared of death. I'm not worried about what's going to happen to me because I have put my, my full faith and trust in Jesus and the sacrifice that will get me into heaven, but also that he is going to give me a crown of righteousness because he promises that crown. Because I bet Paul, he had actually read and heard the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus describes our life that if we're really living for Christ, we're pouring ourselves out 100%, you know what? Life is going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. And you know what? There's going to be times when you say, is it even worth it? Like, is it, is it worth all of the pain and struggle and suffering that I'm going to go through? Well, here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. He says this, blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all sorts of evil against you falsely on my account. Like when, when life is difficult and you got to make those decisions about living for me or living for the world and you lose that promotion, you lose that job, you lose that friendship, you lose that financial gain you could have had. When you go through difficulties in this life, he says, rejoice and be glad. Why? <laughs> For great is your reward in heaven. He says, hey, look, they, they persecuted the Old Testament dudes, the prophets, just like that, okay? They went through the same thing that you're going through. You know what? For us today, the New Testament guys, the people that have gone before us, 
They were persecuted. They went through trouble. And, and I'm telling you, rejoice and be glad. For, for there is a reward for them, and there's going to be a reward for you. And that's great. Doesn't that change how you run a race when you know there's a reward? I mean, think about it. If you, if you knew there was no prize, would you give your all? No. The, the other day, I got to go watch my, my son um, and one of his friends, they got to go run a, a 5K race. I didn't race. I just, you know, I was cheering on people, okay? So, so I'm cheering on people, and uh, they, they take off, and everybody's like, mm, they're, they're going, like, way too fast. You know, you're like, you need to pace yourself here. And they, they, they took off, and about 20 minutes later, here they come um, around the bend. And, and when you see the finish line, and you see the big timer that's showing your time, and it's just ticking away, and people are cheering for you, and you realize that if you make a certain place, there is a, a different kind of medal for you, a prize for you, what do you do? Kick it into gear, you know? Like you start sprinting at the end, everybody's like cheering you on, you know? Is that how you're finishing your life? Is that how you're living your life? Or are you just coasting, you know? I think it's so easy for us to coast. But when we realize that there is a prize for us, Man, that's something different. That's something to, to live for, to strive for. What would you say at the end of your life? If you had a chance to tell your loved ones something, what would you say? Well, I was thinking about this um, yesterday. Holly and Hannah went to a Lauren Daigle concert. So they're like in St. Louis or something. And so they're gone. And Corbin goes and hangs out with one of his buddies. And so I'm at my house all by myself, which is awesome. Okay, that doesn't happen very often. So I'm sitting there, it's just quiet and peaceful. And I was just thinking through this. It's like, what would I say? What would I say? And so I took out my phone and I wrote down what I would say. If I had one last shot to say something to my family before I died, here's what I would say. To my family, do not grieve my death, for I have put all my hope in Jesus as my Savior, and I am confident that right now I am with him and will be forever. Forever is a heavy word that we don't always think about until death greets us. But where you spend forever is determined by your decision for or against Christ while here on this earth. So choose Jesus, and not in a selfish or lukewarm way, for he is more than a way to get to heaven. He is the only way and the only truth and the only life. So forget the rules. Forget playing church. That will not save you and honestly is a wasted life. Instead, live for Jesus. Love him. Sacrifice for him. Pour your life out for him by living radically with the gospel. Tell people about him. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry I too often failed to live for Jesus in front of you. If I could go back, I would be different. In fact, the world would be so different if Jesus' followers would just stop living for the approval of others and instead make Jesus their one and only aim. So make your life count. You only have one. It is so precious and goes by so quickly. I will see you again someday. 
So don't waste a moment and bring as many people as you can with you. <laughs> That's how I'd end it. That's what I would want to say. What would you say? And here's, here's what I think Paul is trying to say to us and tell us. Thinking about your last day should impact every day. What you would say in that last moment, you should be living it out right now, you know? Thinking about your last day should impact every single day of your life. Don't wait. Will you, at the end, regret the things that you did and the things that you didn't do? Or will you be content saying, you know what? I did my best. I was thinking about my last day all the time and I wanted to live the way that God had called me to live. I wanted to, to have those hard conversations with people that I knew I needed to have and I just kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. You know what? I told people about Jesus even when it was uncomfortable and difficult. I made myself look like a fool sometimes, but you know what? Some people came to Christ and lives were changed and I'm bringing other people with me. I was willing to be honest with my family and pour myself out and I have no regrets. What would you say on your last day? Let's live that way, guys. Like, think about that. If, what would happen if we lived that way? If we didn't hold back. If we're like Paul and said, you know what, I don't know how much time I have left, but I just want to live completely, 100% every single day for Jesus. What would you say?